following podcast has not been rated. You're listening to Fullbacks Are People Too, The Fapt, and here is your host, C.J. Newman. Hello everyone and welcome to the fourth edition of Fullbacks Are People Too, The Fapt. Can't believe we got to episode four already. It's actually pretty surprising. This has actually gone on as long as it is, and people are actually listening. So thank you very much for hanging in there with me. I really appreciate you guys coming in every week and listening to what I got to say and what all my uh, friends and colleagues had to say. So putting a bow on last week's episode, big thank you to Dano Demano for coming in and talking about the Jaguars and talking about how he thinks the team's going to be going into the season. This week, I got a very special uh, guest. It's actually my aunt, my Aunt Lisa. She's coming on to talk about her history as a Cleveland Browns fan who converted to the Baltimore Ravens fan after they moved here. She has a bit of a storied history as far as living in Cleveland. She lives here now in Baltimore. So uh, it's going to be very interesting. So please, without further ado, let's give a listen in to Lisa Benda. Hey, welcome back to The Fapt. This week I have on here Lisa Benda. She is actually my aunt. She is a former Cleveland Browns fan converted to Baltimore Ravens fan. Lisa, how the hell are you? I'm doing pretty good, CJ. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's about to storm here, so let's get this done so that we don't get uh, rained in. Uh, how are things going today uh, as far as your uh, Baltimore Ravens are concerned? Have you been keeping up on the current product? Well, I'm not as invested as I normally am during the regular season, but I was pretty impressed with the last preseason game. I feel like we have some really good newcomers on the team. I feel like Ozzy kind of is going out with a bang by who we picked in this draft. I'm really excited about um, Hayden Hurst, and I'm really excited about um, Lamar Jackson. Yes, Hayden Hurst was a really good pick. Uh, heard he had what is called the yips when he was in college playing, uh, actually when he was in professionals, playing Major League Baseball. But uh, I think that's pretty irrelevant when it comes to the NFL. He's been a pretty decent tight end. He scored his uh, first touchdown with Lamar Jackson, and I think that he'll do uh, very well in the NFL for years to come. So the reason I brought you here is you are a rather unique individual in that you used to root for a team that – Let's see, how can I put this? The the team used to be the Cleveland Browns, and then they moved here to become the Baltimore Ravens. For a while, you refused to be a Ravens fan, but you still held on to the lineage of the Cleveland Browns and then somehow converted to the Ravens. So tell me a little bit about what your earliest recollection of the Cleveland Browns is and where you were as a kid watching that team. Okay, well, I was born in 75 in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And my father was a huge sports fan in general. Mm -hmm. And we would always watch the uh, Browns games on Sundays. We didn't really watch a whole lot of other football, but we always were watching the Browns games. And I remember, I think it was in 80 or 81, um, they put out a record called the Cardiac Kids. Uh, Yes. And it was one of these things when you think of um, the big fan base, like people think of the dog pound. Mm-hmm. Well, the Cardiac Kids kind of preceded the dog pound. And we had this 45 record, and we would play it all the time, running around the house. And we had T-shirts that said Cardiac Kids. That was, like, one of the things that we were really into. Um, and I really just felt like a kinship, like a spirit to my home team. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that makes complete sense. I mean, that's kind of like me here in Baltimore. When I was 
very young. The uh, Ravens had just come to town. I believe I was in the third grade when they made the announcement on 98 Rock that we had acquired the Cleveland Browns. So I can understand that completely. So you touched on the cardiac kids. I remember when I was um, fairly young, I remember hearing about it in the history of football. Has something to do with like a heart attack and whatnot? Can you delve a little bit deeper into the Cleveland Browns and the cardiac kids and? You know, I never really knew the story behind the moniker because I was five or six when it came out. I just was really familiar with the commercial that would come on, the song that would come on. Okay. And every time they would say, you know, our cardiac kids, um, they didn't use it in the house. I can't remember what phrase they would use, but it was something dissimilar like in, being in the house. All and right. we would always raise our hands and cheer. So it was like <laughs> one of these type response things. All right. So it's a typical cheer that you would hear out in the crowds, out in the stadium. Did you ever go to a game when you were a kid? I did, but I... I have very little recollection of it. Okay. I mean, that was pretty long ago. I mean, I'm not saying that you're old or anything, God. But um, it would be long ago for me to remember. I remember actually going to a practice for the Baltimore Stallions, if you ever remember hearing of those. That was a CFL football team that was here predating the Baltimore Ravens. So I barely remember going to that practice down at Memorial Stadium with my friend Zach. But, um... I could definitely understand you not remembering too much about that when you were a kid. So tell me, who was your favorite Browns player growing up? Well, it definitely has to be Bernie Kosar. Um, We moved away from Ohio and moved to Arizona uh, when I was around six or seven. Mm -hmm. But we still kept up with the Browns um, history and watched the games. And then we moved back in um, the mid to late 80s. And that's when the Browns were really, they had like their best run ever. Mm -hmm. I believe in a four-year period, they made it to the playoffs three times. Um, And at that time, uh, Bernie Kosar was their quarterback. Now tell me, you touched on uh, Arizona. At the time, if I'm not mistaken, they didn't have a team yet, did they? They did not. Okay, so the Phoenix Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals, they were still in St. Louis, correct? Yes. Okay, very good. So you touched on the playoff years. There were a couple of uh, moments there in the playoffs that happened. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Every time I say to somebody that I used to be a Browns fan, I always hear of the drive mm-hmm. and the fumble. Yes. I mean, the fact that there are Wikipedia plays with long descriptions of what happened about my former hometown team that I loved, and it describes their demise, it can be a little demoralizing at times. I completely understand. For those listening that don't understand, the uh, the drive was... Uh a roughly a two-minute drill by John Elway to end an AFC championship game back in the 80s. And the fumble was a last-second Ernest Biner fumble going into the end zone for another AFC uh, division. I believe it's a divisional round game. But um, that those both those games ended in heartbreak. And let me bring this full circle to uh, why... Both of us seem to hate uh, John Elway. John Elway was actually uh, John Elway was originally supposed to be a Baltimore Colt, believe it or not. Um, for those of you listening who don't know, and if you've listened to my podcast in the past, you know about John Elway's history. But uh, John Elway was originally selected by the Baltimore Colts with the number one pick overall in the draft in 1983, uh, 84 maybe. This is right before they were uh, getting ready to head out to the Indianapolis area. But uh, I think honestly, if we were able to get John Elway. Maybe the Colts would still be here today, but uh, he had to pull his prima donna bullshit. And I can tell you, Cleveland fans are not a fan of uh, John Elway, and we're not fans either. CJ, you mentioned John Elway, but um, I don't know if you know the name Rich Carlos. But there was actually a point in time when I hated him more than I hated John Elway, as far as football hate goes. And 
he was the barefoot kicker for <laughs> the Broncos. Ah, uh, yes, the barefoot kicker. I heard a lot of stories about this guy. He uh, he hit straight on, though. He wasn't one of those side kickers. He was not a soccer kicker. That didn't become popular until, I want to say, the late 80s. So if you remember, um, you're lining up the, the uh, snapper, you're directly behind him, and you're kicking straight forward. He was one of those guys. He wasn't one of the people that take three steps back and three mm-hmm. steps to the side. Uh, for those of you that are listening out there, I just made some uh, motions that you won't be able to see. I apologize for that, but uh, tough shit. So, um, moving forward, um, sorry to bring up the playoff, uh, past, but let's, uh, go ahead and talk about your, uh, favorite, um, your favorite quarterback you said was Bernie Kosar. Was that your favorite Browns player overall in your past? Well, I remember as a kid liking when they would run the ball Mm -hmm. because to me that was more excited than the passing. It was more exciting than the passing game. So I was all, I was behind Ernest Biner big time. Oh really? So I thought you were going to say Jim Brown. I don't remember the name. I think Jim Brown was a little bit before my time. Yeah. Um, but Ernest Biner was a player that I actually watched play and I can't remember the name of the other running back during that same time. I think it was something Mac. Um, but he was also very good. And I think the two of them, maybe if they weren't in the top five, they led the NFL for um, rushing yards that year. Ernest Biner certainly was really good in his heyday. He was actually one of the few people that made the transition from uh, Cleveland over to Baltimore and stayed a little bit. Um, Ernest Biner is actually in our Ring of Honor. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, he's currently in the Baltimore Ravens Ring of Honor. I believe he's also currently running backs coach in Washington, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, he went into coaching after he was done his career. Ernest State is our uh, running back. He was originally we were supposed to select a running back instead of Jonathan Ogden, and he was supposed to supplant him. But the uh, guy Lawrence Phillips had a little bit of a checkered past, and uh, unfortunately, he just passed away not too long ago. Took his own life in prison. So um, he didn't last very long in the NFL, and I'm kind of glad we went with Jonathan Ogden instead. You know, those of us here in Baltimore, um, for a lot of years in the early 2000s, we used to joke about the fact that the Ravens were kind of the team that grew head coaches. And if you look back at the coaches that served on the Browns franchise. I mean, just Art Modell as far as, like, just a football genius and, like, the father of Monday Night Football. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of very good coaches that then went on to be head coaches later on. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, the most hated currently for me, (laughs) Mr. New England. Yes, Bill Belichick, Mr. Um, Astros. A lot of them started in Cleveland. His coaching tree is quite amazing just coming out of Cleveland itself. I mean, you've got Jim Schwartz. Nick Saban is doing great in Alabama. Uh, There's quite a few people that I'm blanking on. But, hell, a lot of general managers have come about. The current uh, general manager for the Atlanta Falcons is out of his tree. He was a scout originally. Uh, Ozzie Newsome grew up in the scouts and was a little bit of a coach and whatnot back in the Cleveland Browns days. But just off that coaching tree alone – from Bill Belichick, it's it's amazing just how far they've come along, and they definitely did grow up and grew out. But as far as head coaches are concerned, the Ravens actually had uh, quite a few of their own going forward. Right now, Marvin uh, Marvin out in Cincinnati is the only one I could think of off the top of my head. But um, a lot of people went on to become successful coordinators, successful uh, head coaches. Hugh Jackson, hell, he was quarterback's coach for us for a while, and he's currently the uh, Browns head coach. 
But, uh, yeah, talking about the history of the Browns, talking about the history of the Ravens, I got to ask you, where were you in 1995 when you heard what happened? Coincidentally enough, I had just moved to Baltimore. (laughs) And it wasn't something where I said, gee, I want to go live in Baltimore. I was in the Navy at the time, and I got stationed here. And I was sore about it. I was really sore about it. I wasn't mad at Art Modell. I was mad at the city. Um, I, having grown up in Cleveland and having a lot of family who still lives there, I know that the demise that happened to the city itself when the tax base left with the steel industry and just big industry closing down there and the city didn't want to didn't want to pay for another stadium they wanted to put more money into the indians and they didn't want to put money into the browns so i i vowed never to become a baltimore browns fan because coincidentally enough when it was first announced, J.C. Penney sort of jumped the gun, and I walked into the J.C. Penney's at Marley Station, and they had sweatshirts that said Baltimore Browns, and it had the orange and brown colors, and I should have bought one. You gotta be shitting me. Because that would be worth a fortune nowadays, right? <laughs> so I'm not sure if like some kids in the Dominican Republic are wearing those, or you know, somewhere in Central Africa. Oh God. But yeah, it was pretty interesting. Oh, it is starting to pour down rain out there now. I hope that doesn't bleed into the podcast, but I'll edit it out if need be. So, um, you were in Baltimore. You were visiting Baltimore, or you were just moving to Baltimore? No, I was living here. I just moved there in July of, of 95. Okay, so that's that's ironic, uh, to say the least. But um, I remember I was in the third grade when I heard the announcement. They first broke the news on 98 Rock here locally. But, um, yeah... I definitely remember just thinking, wait a minute, didn't we lose a team the same way that we're acquiring a team, basically? So what do you think are the differences between the two uh, moves? I used to think it was the same. Yes. Um, And then I, in 2005, so 10 years after I moved to Baltimore, um, I served as a volunteer at the Sports Legends Museum, which was at Camden Yards and sadly is no longer there, but um, and the John Zeman, who also is uh, I think he runs the Ravens, the Marching Ravens. He was one of the um, head volunteer coordinators there, and he was um, determined to switch me over from a Browns fan to a Ravens fan. So he had me be the docent or guide for the section that had the Ravens and the Colts, and there was a, a loop that played of the, I think it was WJZ morning coverage that showed the Mayflower van pulling away. And that was completely different. The city knew for years, Art Modell had tried to get the city to back him with a stadium deal. And everyone in the public was aware that this was this was going down. It was similar to like what happened with the Chargers recently. Everyone knew it was coming. It wasn't so in Baltimore. It shocked everybody. People woke up to it and it like rocked their world. It was a completely, completely different thing. Um, so, and I think that from what I hear, I mean, I wasn't, I don't remember it at the time because we were solely focused on the Browns and not the NFL at large. But it seems to me like the Ursay family did that in a very sneaky way. And they, that, they, you know, there's all kinds of scandal with members of the family and stuff like that. Art Modell is a pillar of humanity and a gentleman and decent and somebody you look up to. So I don't consider them the same at all. 
Well, Art Modell did his, have his opportunity to fund into the Cleveland uh, Indian Stadium when they created a new stadium. The, if he funded into it, he would have gotten some of the tax breaks. He would have gotten some of the revenue out of the Cleveland Indians. He declined to do that, and he was just expecting that the city of Cleveland would eventually get him a new stadium. But uh, he had some opportunities to either go with the new stadium and actually have the the Browns play there or just uh, fund it and get another revenue stream going. So it's not all necessarily not bad for... Uh, yeah, but I think in the late 90s, you're kind of getting away from that construct where you have stadiums that serve for MLB and NFL. Yes. There are not very many cities that still do that. There's but only back one. in the 70s, that was, that was what you did. Mm-hmm. Part of it, I'm sure, was for space. Part of it was for revenue. And you didn't have the, the big contracts and the TV deals and, you know, famous people going to games just to be seen there and social media and all this other stuff. Like, NFL and MLB are not married by the place that they play like they used to be back in the day. I see. Yes, you're right. There's only one team left that still actually has a uh, stadium for both baseball and football, and that's the Oakland Athletics and the Oakland Raiders. And that won't be for too much longer due to the... Ah, yet another move. Looks like the Raiders are going to be moving to Las Vegas. So that should be interesting in the coming years. I don't know how far along they are with that new stadium or if they're even going to play in Oakland next year. Hopefully they do. It just doesn't sound right, the Oakland Raiders moving. You know, it's kind of like the Cleveland Browns moving. You never expect that. Um, what do you recall from the 1984 move for the Baltimore Colts? Actually, I didn't know anything about it. It wasn't even on my radar. I learned about it after the fact. I see. Yeah. I wasn't even born yet, so uh, <laughs> I don't remember too much about it. <laughs> you know, it was kind of a dry spell for me, too, when um, we went from the announcement happening, and I was very sour about football. I wasn't ready to give it up altogether, um, but I sure as shit wasn't going to be a, a Ravens fan at that point. I had made up my mind, but I wanted to I wanted to root for a team. So I happened to be on a flight from Baltimore to Utah, and I was talking with this guy. We were talking about football because it was December, and you know everything started to happen. He's asking me who I follow. I said, you know, I don't really follow anybody because I used to be a um, Cleveland Browns fan, and I'm waiting until they come back in 99. Um, there was actually a countdown clock in downtown Cleveland in Terminal Tower or uh, Mall for how long it was going to be till they came back. So this guy from Wisconsin... The Green Bay area convinced me why I should be a Packers fan. And he spent the entire flight from Baltimore to Utah to Salt Lake City explaining to me about the Packers' history and how they're the only team that the fans own the team. He showed me pictures of his father's stock certificate from owning a piece of the Green Bay Packers. So I started following the Packers, and 1996 was a good year to start following the Packers. <laughs> yes. They had, a, they had a short run of success there. Uh, they got beat by the dastardly goddamn... Denver Broncos and John Elway the next year, but uh, we won't go into that. So uh, funny you bring up the uh, Green Bay Packers. Um, when I was a kid and we didn't have a team here, that was the team I rooted for. I was a big Brett Favre fan, but Brett Favre, of course. If you look over there, I actually still have a uh, Green Bay shot glass up there in the corner. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I keep that with my Baltimore Ravens shot glass there. So for, once again, for those of you who can't see, tough shit. Sorry about that, but uh, I have two shot glasses that I keep. I keep one in the corner with the uh, Green Bay logo on it and one 
one in the center with my Baltimore Ravens logo on it. So when we didn't have a team, obviously rooted for the Green Bay Packers. I rooted for Brett Favre. I still went for individual players just because I thought they were interesting individuals, such as um, Steve Young was a huge part of my childhood. I remember him scrambling and rambling around. But um, also growing up further, even after the Ravens became a thing, I still like people like Michael Vick. I like the good scrambling quarterback. So I went for the individuals more than I did the team up until the Ravens really became a, a thing and started becoming popular. But um, moving onward, let's see what do I got next to my list here. So that reboot period, you uh, you followed the the Packers, but the reboot happened in 1999, and I remember that went off with a bang. A, by a bang, I mean a shutout bang. The uh, Pittsburgh Steelers beat you guys like 40 to nothing. Do you recall that game? I do. How, how bad was that for interesting you? Interesting to me that it's always. The Steelers. I've got the Broncos on one end of the nation and the Steelers on the other. That always seem to be dashing my football dreams as a fan to see my team take it um, to the limit, if you will. But, you know, I didn't have to wait that long for the Ravens um, to win a Super Bowl. And I was kind of at that point a closeted Ravens fan. (laughs) Um, I wouldn't root for the Ravens. If they were going against the Browns, I still rooted for the Browns. But it's tough being a Browns fan. And I still have a a place in my heart for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are the team with the longest playoff drought of the entire NFL. Um, There's a lot of things that Cleveland's known for in sports, and very few of them are good. Well, they recently got their ring as far as the... uh the Cleveland Cavaliers are concerned, so you got that going for you. Yes. So LeBron brought you something. I mean, brought you a present. I'm being happy about that, even though he decided to get up and leave again. But um, you, you got to tell me. You talked about the. We've talked about the reboot period. We talked about the bringing back into the NFL, how they got shut out by the Steelers, and then there's some dismal years there over the years. You had the Tim Couch era. Um, you had. Other no-name quarterbacks. Have you seen the uh, quarterback jersey that started as Tim Couch jersey? Yes. And now has about 27 names listed on it, just scratched out with the next person's name up. So um, what happened? What made you turn from a Browns fan to a closeted Ravens fan to the Ravens fan that I know now in Lisa Benda? That I, I owe it all to John Zeman, to be honest with you. Um, working at that um, Sports Legends Museum really just seeing that footage over and over again and listening to people's stories when they would come in and tell me how they grew up as a Colts fan, hearing about how um, the Colts cheerleaders and how the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders actually modeled their outfits after the Colts cheerleaders hearing about how the marching Colts the band itself stayed um, in Baltimore that entire time Um, and still I think after the first even the first year that the Ravens played they still called themselves the Marching Colts Correct. and just this is really much like Cleveland a town that loves their sports when you have towns especially in the Northeast where the winters are brutal 
um, a lot of blue collar workers. You don't have a lot of people, you know, rushing in from the coasts and a lot of transplant. A lot of people grew up here for years and years and years. You get some really diehard football fans who will, they treat it like their family. Like you think of, you know, yeah, I might be mad at my sister and I might have some choice words for her, but you can't say anything bad about my sister. That's how people think of their, of their football teams. And I just really saw the same spirit that I saw in Cleveland fans. And, you know, after living here so long, when I sat there and realized, gee, I've lived in Baltimore longer than I've lived anywhere else put together in my life. This is home. I might have been born in Cleveland and I might have grown up in Southern California, but this is my home. Baltimore is my home. That's actually a very intriguing story and you, um, very good to hear. Um, but wanted to touch a little bit on that uh, Baltimore Colts marching band. So have you ever seen the 30 for 30 on the Baltimore Colts uh, marching band? I have not. That is an amazing 30 for 30, and I highly recommend that you watch that. It's with John Zeman. He's actually doing pretty much the whole thing there. They talk about how times were tough. They weren't getting paid, obviously, as the marching band between the uh, Colts and the Ravens. They actually were the the Stallions cheerleaders as well, but they called themselves the Baltimore Colts marching band. And you were right about the uh, marching band remaining the Colts marching band for two years up until they christened the new stadium. Then they became the Baltimore Ravens marching band, of course. Very good about that. Um, yeah, that was it was an interesting time, and uh, that was actually a very interesting story moving forward. But um, let's go ahead and talk about what's going on with the uh, current product now. So we talked about it in the beginning. Ravens have drafted a new quarterback. They drafted a tight end in the first round. We're not the only ones that had two first-round picks. The Cleveland Browns also had two first-round picks, and they chose Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward. Not happy about Baker Mayfield. I don't mean to cut you off there, CJ, but I have been, ever since the draft, ever since two days before the draft, I've been talking about this guy because uh, he gets on social media and he recreates the picture of when Brett Favre was um, called and uh, told (laughs) and so he dresses up like him and you've got these people. I think the problem that you have with the Browns is that they're always going for the shock and awe, if you will, not to use a, a war term, but they're always going for the shock and awe. They don't think deeper into character. And for the most part, in my opinion, as a Ravens fan, we do pretty good with character. I mean, I believe when, um, oh gosh, now I forgot his name because the, the guy who just, was inducted in the Hall of Fame but didn't go. Um, Terrell yeah. Owens. When when Terrell Owens, but there was talk that he was going to come here, we didn't want him. We don't want things that are going to poison the locker room. Yeah. And I think that the, that the Browns, they're just looking for the numbers. They're not looking at the heart of the player. They're not looking at the, the honor system, like how he's going to fit in with, with the rest of the locker room. They need to look at the whole package. And I just, I see this, I see Baker Mayfield is being Johnny Manziel 2.0. This kid's going to get in trouble. He's going to let his head get to him. I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because Brandon, a friend of mine, uh, brought this to my attention that there has been some checkered past on Baker Mayfield. Have you seen him get tackled? Racist past. 
that too, but I was getting at the uh, the police tackling him at the knees and uh, trying to arrest him when he was trying to run away. Did not hear about this one. Oh, goodness. I'll have to show you the video when we're done here. But, uh, yeah, he's got a bit of a checkered past. He was quite a jerk on the field, too. I mean, he uh, would bring the Oklahoma flag with him out to the center of the field, and nobody wanted to shake his hand in college when it came to the team captains. Uh-huh. I was surprised he was even elected a team captain, to be honest with you. Yeah, like, I mean... When I was in boot camp, I remember we had a girl who was really smart and she was able to do things pretty well, but she did something where she made the rest of us look bad. And our company commander made her pack her bag, her sea bag up and go into the lounge and pick it up and throw it up against the wall and yell, I will not be a bitch to my shipmates. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good you are if you can't get along with your teammates. There is no I in team. You have to get along with your teammates. You have to humble yourself. This this kid, because he's a kid, mm-hmm. he's got to learn. He's got to be. He's got to be trained by the veterans. You look at Lamar Jackson when he gets up there and he does his his interviews. He's always talking about how this is. I'm going to go out there and play my heart out. This is this is my regular season. This is my turn to prove myself. He's humbling himself. And I'm a football player is what he gets at. He doesn't just say quarterback. He's not expecting to go out there on the field and just be the new Joe Flacco, the the new starting quarterback, I should say. God, don't wish Joe Flacco upon anybody. But um, yes, he carries himself with a poise. I mean, I'm not a big fan of his speech impediment, but uh, he he certainly carries himself well. Um, Baker Mayfield, on the other hand, when I hear him talk, it's I heard him do an interview with Colin Coward, and he just seemed like to dress down Colin. He uh, also dressed down anybody that would really talk to him. He he's even uh, put himself in positions where he was supposed to be in interviewed, and there's no showed from what I hear. So Baker has a, a bit of a character issue, in my opinion. Um, you you might have hit the nail on the head with the Johnny Manziel 2.0, but uh, hell, even Johnny's getting his second chance. We'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> Um, CFL is, is doing great this time of year, I'm sure. Um, moving forward, so you don't like the Baker Mayfield draft pick. I was shocked at number four when they took Denzel Ward with uh, Bradley Chubb still on the board. They went corner. It just, I think they went for need in that case because they, they lost Joe Hayden. Joe Hayden was the corner that they had for many years. Their shutdown corner, amazing guy. But they ended up releasing him to relieve themselves from a cap number, which I think was a really stupid move because the Steelers went and picked them up. So um, what did you think when you saw number four come up and it was Denzel Ward? I was pretty surprised. This this, this draft to me, and I, I haven't watched a whole lot of them. I'm saying probably sitting at about five or six in a row here. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm always listening to Mel Kuyper beforehand. Um, to see what he thinks. And he usually is pretty good at, at picking who's going to go where and, and who, who the star players are. And this draft, to me, just seemed like there were surprises all around. Yes. It seems like there were surprises all around. I mean, the Ravens picking a quarterback, that shocked the shit out of me. I got to tell you, when the Ravens picked Lamar Jackson, I had told my buddy Chad, I said, don't go to sleep, because we had just drafted uh, Hayden Hurst at pick 26, I believe it was. Yeah. So as soon as that happened, I'm like, they kept saying the Philadelphia Eagles definitely want to trade out of the 32nd pick. I'm like, if they want to trade out of the 32nd pick, we've been linked to Lamar Jackson. We had him here for a tryout. Nobody else is picking him up so far. Take a look at him at number 32. 
and I stayed up for the rest of the draft, and I'll be damned if we didn't trade back in. I was not shocked whatsoever to see us go back in, at the very least, to pick up a player. And you got to see the writing on the wall for Joe Flacco, can you not? Oh, definitely. But I, I don't think – I think Joe Flacco is wrapping it up, mm-hmm. you know? He's like that guy at work that has five years left to retirement, and he's just kind of coming in every day. We call him, you know, retired in place. I'm not saying that he's not trying hard, but you can tell, like, he's he's already set up his, his, his life. He's, I mean, he's got five kids at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got, I don't, I've never been a Joe hater. I've always been behind our quarterback. He's our guy. You know, the whole debate on whether or not he's elite. Okay, that's debatable. The guy's good. Okay, he won a Super Bowl. I think the Browns will take him um, in a heartbeat right yeah, now. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that would take him in a heartbeat. But I, I don't think... I, I, I don't think he lives and breathes football. I think football is what he is going to look back on his life and say, I did for this period of time. I think you've got somebody like Tom Brady. That man lives and breathes football. With an asterisk. Yes. <laughs> and, I mean, like, uh, the... Um, uh, Peyton Manning. Yes. Lives and breathes football. Yes, that's, that's a more respectable breeds. person we could talk but, about. But, but, I mean, <laughs> these are guys who... In the off season, they're thinking about Ray Lewis. I mean, now he's kind of living and breathing. I don't know if he's going to become a preacher or whatnot, but he sure sounds like one. Goodness, um, that Hall of Fame speech. I liked the Hall of Fame speech I because it. I am severely, severely attention deficit. So I could follow him. Yeah. I was following all of his little, but yeah, he he definitely needed a path there. Yeah, Ray Lewis, as soon as he came out with that microphone on his ear, I'm like, this is going to be interesting, yeah. and this is going to be a long night. Yeah. So, um, I don't know why I didn't put this in the format, and I just now thought about this. Uh, there is a player that tied, besides Ernest Biner, that tied the Ravens and the Cleveland Browns together. Um, a former right tackle that we had here, his name was Orlando Brown. Uh-huh. Orlando Brown was an original Cleveland Brown, transferred over and became a Raven, when he left the Ravens, went back to the new Cleveland Browns, and then ended his career as a Raven. Are you familiar with uh, who they called Zeus? Yes. Okay. Do you recall too many of his playing days as a right tackle in the NFL? I don't recall a whole lot of them, Okay. to be honest with you. So did you know that his son was drafted by us this year? Yes, I did. Yes, he was picked up in the third round. He only slid down that far because he had a terrible combine. He would not run. He couldn't do push-ups. He couldn't do any lifting. So he slid down to us, and I've been watching him for the past two weeks as far as his games and I even went to a training camp and he's looking a lot like his dad so I'm hoping if we can even have an eighth of his dad and him then that will live on and I think we're going to have a pretty solid line what do you think about Orlando Brown Jr. or Zeus Jr.? You know like I said from the beginning I really think that Ozzie Newsome did and Eric DaCosta did their homework this Mm -hmm. year they really did. You don't see a lot of just Alabama picks just for the sake of it being Alabama. <laughs> you don't see a lot of these ignoring the fact the, the Ravens have a history of ignoring the fact that we've got these guys that are going to need to be replaced. Um, they, they realize that we've got a future to build here. And I really think that he did us a great service. It's not like what I consider one of his worst picks, and that would be Perriman. Uh, yeah, Perriman's been a bust. 
I I will say that even if Perriman had turned out to be good, I would have never picked him. It's like picking. It's like buying a car that you that you know has like buying a Yugo. His his father had that same medical issue. His brother had that same medical issue. It was known to everybody, and we still thought, oh, oh, we'll, we'll see past that. This is gonna work. You know, I got to give Rashad Perriman credit, though. I've been doing this podcast for four weeks, and he's managed to get on all four fucking shows that I've done so far. <laughs> got, bravo, Rashad Perriman. You've managed to be crappy enough to be on my show four times. God, I hope I never have to bring his name up again. But yeah, that was one of the busts. Um, we've had a couple, unfortunately. We've had Matt Elam. We've had Travis Taylor. But I can say that... We have at least saw them out to the end of their contracts, unlike the past uh, 11 first-round draft picks for the Cleveland Browns. Oh, yeah. They, they, always, they go for flash. Yeah. They, all, they always just go for flash. Yeah, I'm wondering if the owner of the team there is just like hard up on money. Does he want to get sales going on for his jerseys? I mean, the Johnny Manziel one, I'm sure that sold like oh, hotcakes. But, uh, God damn, is he just looking for the, the sales there, or what is going on? I I I have no clue. I really have no clue. It's almost. I mean, I don't want to bring politics into it, so we won't name any names. But you know, there are some people in the general con, like social media world, who believe any publicity is it's good, good publicity. publicity. And I think that the 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 Browns organization they just want to be talked about. Yep. They don't care what the talk is as long as their names are on somebody's lips. They don't care. Do you know where Jimmy Haslam came from as far as before he was the Cleveland Browns owner? No, I don't. Jimmy Haslam was a minority owner for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He sold his minority portion to acquire the uh, Cleveland Browns. And this just seems to be a trend because I'm not sure if you noticed, but uh, the Carolina Panthers got sold over the summer and they got sold to a minority owner from the Pittsburgh Steelers. So it looks like they're just grooming owners left and right. Who knows when the next uh, team is going to be sold. Hell, maybe Mark Davis's dumbass is going to sell the team sometime soon. He's not a dumbass, but he just looks like a goober. I mean, have you seen his bowl cut? <laughs> no, I haven't. Hey, that guy is just... I, I apologize for saying dumb. He's not dumb. He just looks stupid. He's got a bowl cut that just... Eh, oh, my God. Like... Carrot Top would be ashamed of the hairstyle that this guy has. It's it's pretty bad. So, um, let's go ahead and wrap things up here. We've been going on blabbering for about over 30 minutes now. So, um, tell me, where do you see the Ravens going this year? Where do you see the Browns going this year? No particular order. Tell me what you see for the AFC North, half of that. Well, I think if the Browns make it over 500... It would be amazing. I think they're going to probably be maybe four wins if they're lucky. I was going five. You're, um, I'm more generous than you. I I tend to overestimate when it comes to the Ravens, and I'm really hopeful this year. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say eleven and five. I was going ten and six, so we're pretty um, close. And I say they will make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like 
they might make it in not on a wild card. They might, like, legitimately make it in. Do you think they're going to beat the Steelers for the division? I think it's very possible. I think these guys are hungry. I think they're hungry. I think they're tired. We're spoiled in Baltimore. We, we are, are so spoiled because our team has been in the playoffs for more years than they've not been in the playoffs, if I have done the math correctly. And we're used to a winning product. And we've been too bad for too long for this town. Yeah, three out of the past four years have been non-playoff years. But, I mean, 9-7 and seven wasn't terrible. I really would have liked to have seen us win that last game and go to the playoffs. But I think that edge might be enough to get this team over and get them into the playoff hunt this year. We'll see. We've got new weapons for Flacco or Lamar Jackson, if it may be. Who knows what's going to happen? They both keep lighting it up. Who knows? One might get traded before the trade deadline. Before we end, I got two things I want to say. One, I think it's interesting that neither one of us brought up RG3 this entire discussion. I think we both know where that's going. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that guy. I forgot that he was a Cleveland Brown and a Baltimore Raven. Um, but and for I how also, much longer? <laughs> I want to thank you for having me on your podcast. I know that you know a lot of very knowledgeable people when it comes to sports. Um, you live and breathe uh, your football and football stats. And I do appreciate you letting your old aunt be part of your podcast to talk about her two favorite teams. Hey, I appreciate you even coming in here to the uh, Newman Estate and coming into the studio apartment of C.J. Newman to uh, record this. So, uh, Lisa, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, C.J. Have a good day. You too. Interesting story of how a original recipe Cleveland Browns fan came down from Cleveland to Baltimore and became a Baltimore Ravens fan in the end. Let's just make mention of the fact that the Browns have only had two winning seasons since they've been reactivated in 1999, and one of those was a playoff season. The other was a 10-6 and season where they did not make it to the playoffs. That about wraps up for this week for the FAPT podcast. Let's go ahead and try to do this again next week. Thank you.